Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. As we gear up for Expo West, we can expect to see exciting trends like personalized nutrition, biotics, and ingredients like mushrooms. But those trends may not be for the demographic you had in mind. Marketplace recently introduced pet programming to their roster, and they have a new survey out that highlights trends, many of which we've seen embraced by humans. Joining me now is Nicole Hill, Executive Director of Strategy at Marketplace Branding. Hi, Nicole, and welcome to the NutraCast. Hi, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me. So what inspired this survey? So several years ago, we were working actively in the pet space, working actively in the human space, and had some theories about the crossover trends between human and pet nutrition. We had an upcoming speaking engagement specific to pet supplements, and we thought it was the perfect opportunity to just do our own survey like we do for many of our clients, tapping into the consumer insights of pet parents across the U.S., so we started an annual survey that we've built on year over year, building continued data and each year kind of identifying what's changing, what's shifting, what new curiosities do we have, what theories do we want to test in the pet nutrition space. And that was really where our marketplace proprietary research process related to the pet shopper and most specifically the pet supplement subgroup came to life. Okay. And so can you kind of walk us through the methodology and tell us who and how many people were surveyed? Yeah. So as I mentioned, we've been doing the survey for several years. Most recently, we sourced a panel of 765 pet parents across the U.S. And we qualified pet parents as those who own one dog, cat, or horse and who make purchase decisions for their pets. So we really wanted these to be folks who either influence or were the primary decision maker for their pet's product purchases. Within this audience, 282 of those members reported giving their pet supplements within the past 12 months, which was nearly 37% of the total audience. And we distribute a online survey to those nationwide pet parents in the U.S. and do our own data analysis in-house to capture the findings that we'll be talking about today and that are published in our annual pet report. Okay. And so how common are daily pet supplements? Nearly 37% of U.S. pet parents report purchasing supplements for their pet. 43% of those give supplements daily. 34% report giving them weekly and 11% on occasion. So for some, it's their pet has seasonal allergies, much like many humans do. So they might just give their pet a supplement for allergy relief during that seasonal allergy occasion or if they get hot spots, things like that. For others, they take more of a daily wellness approach. Joint health, skin and coat oftentimes are part of that daily regimen. Digestive health as well has really been growing. Out of all the pet parents, dogs, cats, horses, were you able to see which animal is most likely to get supplements daily? Yeah, so it's always interesting to look at it from both a quantity standpoint and a volume standpoint. This is based on self-reporting by pet parents and of the pet supplement shoppers we surveyed. So looking at that total U.S. pet parent group and then narrowing it down to that subgroup of those that say, I purchase pet supplements on a regular basis, 86% of those pet supplement shoppers reported that they were dog parents. 
46% reported that they are cat parents. As you can tell by totaling those numbers, that means there's a fair bit of them that own both cats and dogs and supplement each. Okay. And then just looking at the spending, I'm wondering how much are these pet parents spending, A, and B, did inflation play a role at all? Yes. So inflation certainly plays a role, but I would say the pet space is one of the more stable categories in terms of the impact of inflation on spending. We did ask questions regarding, you know, if the price of your pet nutrition product increased by 10%, would you switch brands, stop supplementing? Would you uh, look for an alternate product at, you know, the price point you were paying before? And by and large, Pet parents reported they would be pretty brand loyal and that they would cut expenses in other areas before or in lieu of cutting expenses related to their pet. They'd spend less on their own food, their own transportation, their own health care, their own housing in some cases. (laughs) So really, it it says a lot about how people treat their pets, sometimes better than themselves. Um, And while inflation certainly does play a role, I mean, there certainly are switches that we see in the CPG space at large, where there's movements to private label for certain products for, you know, cost-saving measures to inflation certainly plays a role in the management of those household budgets. But as I mentioned, the pet category in general tends to experience a lesser impact than other categories. I'm not surprised to hear that. I know people who would literally starve before they let their pets go hungry or not take their supplements. So that doesn't surprise me at all. I know a lot of people out there treat their their pets like their babies. Were you able to see some of these pet parents? Do they have kids? Yes, certainly our dogs and cats are for many of us like our children. But a lot of the households that have pets also have human children in the household. So among pet supplement shoppers specifically, 43% also have human children in the household in addition to their to their four-legged friends. Good to know. And so what are some of those health benefits that pet parents are out there shopping for? So benefits are certainly a driver for supplement purchase and where most supplement shoppers start their journey. So when they are going through that path to purchase, they usually start with what is the benefit I'm looking for? 62% of pet supplement shoppers look for a specific benefit when shopping. Joint health is among the top skin and coat, and daily wellness, those three really remain among the top need states year over year pretty consistently. In terms of what pet supplement shoppers reported purchasing, 40% reported purchasing a supplement to support their dogs or cats, hip and joints, 34% for skin and coat, 31% for daily wellness. Digestion broke into the top three this year with 32% of pet supplement shoppers reporting that they had purchased a pet supplement in the past 12 months with digestive support in mind. Calming and allergy relief also remained in the top bracket. They've really been growing year over year with 23% of pet supplement shoppers reporting purchasing supplements for calming and 23% also reporting purchasing supplements for their pet's allergy relief. You mentioned calming and I'm just wondering what would fall under calming? Are you thinking like CBD? Calming is certainly in that anti-anxiety realm. It's that sometimes it's the separation anxiety that their pet experiences or their pet's not a big fan of car rides or 4th of July or New Year's is coming up and they know there's going to be loud noises and fireworks. 
whatever the need state is uh, related to wanting that calming benefit, um, we certainly saw a spike in that after people who had been working remotely during the early days of COVID started returning to the office, we saw an increase in those seeking calming supplements for their pets because many pets that were adopted, kind of those pandemic puppies, as they were called, weren't used to being home very much without their humans. So we saw an increase then. In terms of the ingredients that support that calming benefit, it really ranges. And while there was certainly an uptick in CBD at a certain point in time, it has waned a little bit. So there are other ingredients that people look to, medicinal mushrooms among them. Although I will say not every pet parent understands or supplement consumer for that matter on the human front understands that when they see lion's mane or reishi or turkey tail or many of those other medicinal mushrooms, in their product formulation and their in their supplement for themselves or their pet. Many don't associate that as being a medicinal mushroom. Okay, yeah, I was going to bring that up because there is a section in the report called the misunderstood mushroom. Uh, can you tell yeah. us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so plant-based ingredients, um, and I would embrace fungi as a close a close cousin to to the plant-based movement have certainly been on the uptick in both the human and pet space over the past several years. But I would say mushrooms are still an area that consumers are navigating for themselves and for their pets. Despite the growing awareness of medicinal mushrooms like lion's mane, reishi, and turkey tail, consumers are not broadly recognizing them as mushrooms. So someone might respond Yes, I've purchased a pet nutrition product that contains lion's mane, but fewer said that they'd consider a product that contains mushrooms. So even when we screened by those who said that they had purchased a product that contains a specific type of mushroom, those same audience members weren't recognizing that they had indeed purchased a supplement that contained a mushroom in it. Interesting. So they think that reishi or lion's mane or, or whatever is maybe a botanical or something? Possibly. It wasn't the way that our survey was structured. We didn't have an opportunity to dive deeper with follow-up questions, but that's certainly one that's top of mind for us. And that's one of the great things about building that year-over-year data set is if a new curiosity peaks based on a finding from last year, then in the coming year survey, we can ask some of those deeper dive questions on a specific topic. So it looks like there's an opportunity there for some consumer education in the mushroom department. Yes, definitely an opportunity for education, which I feel like is familiar territory to supplement brands at large. So much of what pet supplement shoppers seek, so much of what human supplement shoppers seek, they tend to be very hungry for information and willing to to explore and find that science backstory, that clinical data. Um, but they they also need a lot of that information served to them because certainly they can take the initiative to go seek that out, but the information has to be there. And that's a great opportunity for brands to not just on the consumer package goods side, on the CPG side, but also on the branded ingredient side to really invest in communicating the benefit of their specific ingredient with the specific clinicals supporting it, et cetera, to really make sure that end consumer knows to not just look for that type of ingredient, but to also know which specific branded ingredients are science-backed, do have that clinical validation behind them. 
I was going to ask you, is it different for human supplementation versus pet when it comes to science, you know, validated research? In both areas in our experience, and we also do an annual survey of supplement shoppers in the human space. So we do get to look at both sets of data and kind of see where those trends track. And largely they do track together. So ingredients and products that are clinically backed and scientifically validated are certainly desired, but it can't just be the language science back on a principal display panel of a package or in the Amazon storefront. There needs to be that validation behind it. And while not every single supplement consumer on the pet or human side is necessarily going to do that deep, deep dive to understand all of the backup, the subset that do tend to be very loyal and consistent supplement consumers. And when you looked at all this research, what key factors did you identify in selection? When pet parents are shopping for a supplement, like I mentioned, they often start with benefit, but there is a broader consideration set that they that they explore. For pet supplement shoppers in specific, they do look at specific ingredients. 38% reported that they look to specific ingredients when making that purchase decision. 32% say they value organic claims. 28% said that they look for clinical trials. 26% value made in the USA. 25% value human-grade ingredients. And when I say they value it, those are all quality indicators for those shoppers. While this isn't necessarily a deal breaker to not have a specific ingredient or to not have an organic claim, it certainly is an added advantage when shoppers are considering among the many supplement choices they, they have in front of them. Okay. And I'm just looking at the, the top ingredients purchased, starting with antioxidants. Was that mm-hmm. on trend? I mean, was that something that you saw last year and the year before, or was that a new one? Yeah, so antioxidants is interesting in both the human and pet space. It certainly has spiked, particularly since 2020, and has continued to rise. So, it, so while some trends emerge and slowly fade and become really more of a fad than a trend, Antioxidants are presenting as something that has long been associated with positive health benefits and is really continuing to increase in that awareness from the perception and understanding of antioxidants as a way to fight free radicals to the historical association of antioxidants with, quote, superfoods like blueberries. People do associate antioxidants as having positive health benefits. And as immunity was increasingly on everyone's mind, specifically in that 2020-2021 timeframe, it's really continued to grow in prevalence. And in many ways, immunity today almost has become a more specific and defined way of thinking about general wellness, because general wellness has historically been kind of that daily supplement to make sure essential nutrients are consumed, to make sure that our bodies and minds and our pets' bodies and minds are in, in the best possible condition, including that proactive immune support component. Mm-hmm. I see fish oil in the second place. I'm mm-hmm. thinking coat and joints. Is that? Yeah. So in terms of what influences purchase consideration, vitamin D, omegas 3 and 6, bone broth collagen, and glucosamine lead in terms of actual 
purchase consideration influence. I imagine that is due to the prevalence of pet supplement shoppers seeking products for joint support as well as skin and coat. In terms of what's associated with positive health benefits, that's really where antioxidants come in, followed by fish oil, probiotics, vitamin D, B-complex, and omegas 3 and 6. So one of the things that we do as part of our methodology, we ask questions a couple of different ways. One is, what do people associate with positive health benefits? Because there is a difference between claims made, ingredients included, and what people's perception are of each of those things independently. And then we also ask which ingredients actually influence their purchase consideration. So when they are making that purchase decision, if they see a product that contains omegas three and six or bone broth, how likely are they to purchase that product given the inclusion of those ingredients? And like you alluded, I do think that when People are seeking products largely for joint support, skin and coat, digestion. It's no surprise that we see in the framing of both of those questions, uh, the fish oils, the omegas, the probiotics for the that emerging digestive support realm, and then, you know, antioxidants in terms of that general wellness and immune support. And I see that probiotics is in number three. Digestion is big. Uh, down the line, a little bit further, prebiotics. Do you think one day prebiotics might catch up to probiotics? I do think so. I think it's on its way. And I do think in that same realm, postbiotics are slowly but surely emerging. And I think that they will kind of usher into where prebiotics are today. Prebiotics will continue to grow in alignment with probiotics. Largely with prebiotics, there's so many formulation challenges and manufacturing challenges that can come into play with probiotics, and especially as pet parents seek different formats and manufacturers need to explore different production approaches. Ingredients that deliver the same or similar benefit and are clinically backed and that have that awareness, which I would argue that prebiotics is having certainly its moment. Most recently, there was a Super Bowl commercial for a prebiotic soda. So certainly prebiotics, there's mass awareness of that and is it's continuing to grow. So I do think it's on trend to eventually catch up to probiotics, though it may take some time. And I think there are a lot of product developers and operations leads that will appreciate that because there are some formulation and manufacturing advantages that prebiotics can offer. Mm-hmm. Did you notice any emerging opportunities coming out of the survey? Yes. So when we look at survey results, we do, of course, our top line analysis. How? What were the questions we asked? What were the percentages of respondents who answered? And then we screen by different filters and different subgroups to kind of look for those little gems that can inspire what that next chapter of the pet supplement space, of the pet nutrition space might look like. Because at Marketplace, we really see pet supplement shoppers as the early adopters of trends in the pet nutrition space at large. So we really see a lot of the trends that happen in pet supplement trend into pet treats and pet food and other things. We continue to see soft chews, what I call the gummies of pet supplements, remain as a trending format. And I think that's because a persistent theme we see in pet nutrition and pet care across categories is pet parents want enjoyment and efficacy. So they want something that their pet's going to enjoy that's not going to be a a difficult 
dose or product to administer and that it's going to do its job, it's going to work. So when we look at that, we do think about, okay, soft shoes, it's treat-like in its format and often in its palatability that hits those marks, but it can limit the combination and the quantity of actives you have because anytime you're getting something into more of a food-like format, there are other components that must be added for, for the binding of the product, for the palatability, all of those things. I think an untapped opportunity is really in the liquid supplement space. And I think about it from the standpoint of bone broth. So what are different formats for a bone broth oriented treat? One, palatability already tends to be high. Two, there's already positive associations with bone broth. So it's something that pet parent can feel good about, pet can enjoy. And as a liquid delivery system, it gives pet parents an opportunity to supplement along or on top of or mixed in with their food in a way that provides an enjoyable eating experience for their dog, especially if it's being paired with a freeze-dried option or a kibble. On that front, I think anything that allows for mixing or topping with a daily diet component is an interesting format to explore. We include a few innovation explorations, some protocepts, if you will, in our pet report. And one that we put together was an evolution of a trending format, a, a topper. So bringing freeze-dried, you know, whole foods into it, like blueberries, chicken, pumpkin, tart cherries, all natural ingredients are remain a priority for pet parents, but aren't always possible in all products and formats. So that's an example of a way that pet nutrition might be evolving and whether that comes through in more of the the food mixers and toppers space or as a true supplement remains to be seen. But I think in that freeze-dried area where shipping, there are shipping advantages to that for those who order their pets' nutrition products online. I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities in that realm. And on the bone broth side with liquid formats where that can be poured into a bowl for a dog to lap up, added to their daily meal, I find that a really interesting opportunity to explore as well. Yeah, both very fascinating opportunities there. Were there any surprises in this report that you found? I would say because we're so ingrained in the human nutrition space and much of the pet trends tend to mirror or closely follow the trends in human. There aren't a ton of big surprises, but I think that keeping our finger on the pulse year over year also helps us mitigate how many surprises there might be. I think the drop in CBD has maybe not been surprising to us, but I think if you were at any of the pet nutrition oriented events, trade shows, you know, that are pet specific or shows like Expo West. CBD was everywhere a few years ago. And due to some regulatory constraints and inconsistencies, it really has tapered off quite a bit. And we see that in our consumer report. It hasn't fallen off the radar altogether. It's just not in the same upward trajectory it had prior. We also saw a few ingredients or topics drop off an interest like elderberry while it has still 
maintain some level of interest. Uh, 13% of pet supplement shoppers report that they had researched elderberry for at least more than an hour within the past year. Again, two years ago, elderberry was all the rage. Same uh, to a degree with apple cider vinegar, although that's held on a little bit longer. So it's really interesting to see those things. And then again, the kind of emergence and misunderstandings around medicinal mushrooms. I would say those are kind of the a few of the interesting little surprises that we've noted along the way. Yeah. And so you mentioned Expo West. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. What are some of the trends that you are expecting to see on the floor there? Well, we always look at both human nutrition and pet nutrition. And one of the things we always look for are which are the human nutrition trends that will cascade into pet nutrition trends. As much as certain things like sustainability and upcycling aren't priorities, they are advantages. And so I'm really curious because Expo West is the perfect place to see the trends happening in more sustainable ingredients, packaging, which is an everlasting uh, desire that we hear from CPG brands in the pet space, having more sustainable packaging, recyclable packaging. What opportunities are there to be a more sustainable company and how can we better use the resources to produce not only high quality nutrition, but to better support the sustainability efforts that we all have a part of. So looking at those upcycled ingredients, sustainable options for packaging, ingredient sourcing, things like that, I think will be a highlight of some of the takeaways we'll have from Expo West across both human and pet nutrition trends. In addition, I'll be keeping an eye out for postbiotics because as I mentioned, while those are certainly quite a distance from where prebiotics and probiotics are today, I expect that they will continue to grow in prominence and awareness. Nicole, you've certainly got your finger on the pulse. Lots of great trends we'll be keeping our eyes out for. Nicole Hill, Executive Director of Strategy at Marketplace Branding. Thank you so much for joining me here on the NutriCast. Thank you so much for having (laughs) me, Danielle. It was a pleasure. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutriCast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head to NutriIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutri-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutriCast next week.